both an art and a science, valuations are complex things and their impact is enormous, making the difference between generational wealth creation and a comfortable retirement. At Bizval, we know how tough it is to grow and run a business, which is exactly why we've made valuations simpler. Whether you are using our online tool Bizval Live or reaching out to us for a concierge offering where we spend more time on your numbers and your business and give you detailed feedback, you can be sure that the same techniques being used by professional investors are also being used by us. And with Bizval Bootcamp, we will prepare you for those discussions with investors. Welcome to the Bizval Podcast. Welcome to the Bizval Podcast. I have Adi Kaimovitz as my guest today, a very, very interesting entrepreneur who has built a business that is full of professional services people, and he doesn't necessarily share that professional service, which is a fantastic example of how you can actually really build a business if you understand a product and a service and a market without necessarily having to do all of the work yourself in that service. So I'm very excited to have this conversation with you. And uh, a man who is publishing a book soon as well, which is something I find very interesting because uh, one of my silly little dreams, although he might put me off on this podcast, we'll see, is to actually write and publish my own book. So let's see how that goes. But Adi, thanks so much for joining on the show. And the business that you started is called Virtual Actuary, am I right? Virtual Actuary, and thank you, Ghost. So nice to be here. And I won't discourage you to write the book, but uh, you're going to need a lot of coffee and and determination. Yeah, both. Uh, listen, that sounds like my daily life running sort of the finance ghost ecosystem. So I'm, <laughs> I just don't know where I'll find the time for it, but one day this book will happen. So let's get into Virtual Actuary. I mean, I think it's one of those really cool businesses where the name gives a pretty strong clue of what's going on here. But I think in your words, you know, just to give people an understanding, what does the business do, obviously? And Perhaps more importantly and more interestingly, you know, how did you start it, when and why? Thanks. So Virtual Actuary is a firm of actuaries. We service the insurance, banking and investment sectors. Uh, your typical large consulting firm with teams of actuaries that work within those companies as clients and across the business from product design pricing of the products and all the regulatory reserving and capital management stuff in between, which is quite a big portion of it. The business was started in mid-2017. We picked up our first client in February 2018. So the 2018 year was our first financial year. And uh, we're now about five years in. We have um, about 35% of our work is from offshore clients. We have a team of about 60, 65 strong actuaries, senior, mid-level, and some juniors. And the business was started. I had had a recruitment business for actuaries for about 10 years before that. And it was sort of a natural progression from that. And we got a nice presence online and we, we're globalizing. So we're in a good spot. A lot of work, lovely people that I work with. I think this talks to a theme in South Africa that is something I've certainly grown up around. So I'm not an actuary, I'm a chartered accountant, but very much in that professional services environment. And South Africa produces world-class, not just entrepreneurs, but professionals as well. I think we genuinely do. And so it's interesting to hear you talk about globalizing. I mean, obviously you're finding that to be the case, right? The South African skill set is more than good enough to compete offshore, I would imagine. Well, that's the whole point. I've always believed that in South Africa, you have to be very smart about how you operate. I mean, we get hit from all sides. 
what you'll find is there's a trend in London that people that go there for two years on the work visa are very well received. Why? Because our work ethic is very strong. You know exactly what you're getting, somebody who is ready to roll up their sleeves and, and very, very smart and, and streetwise as well from a professional perspective. So not only do we not only just are up to the same level, but I believe we are at a higher level. So it was always really about how can we package that? How can we make ourselves available to overseas clients? I believed that if they gave us an opportunity, we would show them that we have a reliable team that will get ongoing work, and that has been the case. So, so I think people underplay the fact that because we're at the bottom end of the world, we somehow on the back foot, but it, it was really just a technological thing. But once that barrier to entry was opened, I think we're cleaning up. And of course, we do so because we're putting in a lot of effort and smart effort. And, and that's the reason why we've done so well. I mean, this is the beauty of the gig economy, right? Is the internet has made it possible to compete with international businesses right here from the tip of Africa, thanks to the internet and a strong skill set. And I think that it's worth mentioning your book, which I haven't read yet, but you've promised me a copy and I will read it because I'm, it, it resonates very, very well with me, which is about scaling businesses in a gig economy, but also beating the big establishments, right? Being small and nimble. I mean, that's, that's kind of the thesis behind it, right? Yes. So the title took me a really long time to work out and came as a result of what the content was in the book. What happened was I was speaking at a lot of conferences about our business. People were asking us to explain our business, digitization, working efficiently, using technology, working as a consortium where everybody is a colleague, a collaborative colleague. And what I found was that as a result of that, we were beating the larger firms in picking up work. And so in explaining how have we done that, what is Zoom, what is Slack, that was the progression of the book, Slaying Giants in the Mega Gig Economy. And the gig economy we know, Fiverr, Upwork, Uber, where you're doing one gig, you're one person, but if you could all join forces together in your sector, in your industry, and, all, and form a mega gig or a consortium, then you could, in essence, be a firm, a large consulting firm, which is very, very organized as teams of people working together. So that's actually the mega gig economy. And so the book was, I was asked to do a one-day workshop for one of the seaters, and I put together a four-and-a-half-hour speaking gig which was an hour and a half, then coffee, hour and a half, then lunch, hour and a half, then coffee, and then a Q&A. That's not actually how these things work because I don't go to them. But I figured if we had enough content for four and a half hours, they would book me. They didn't book me. So I took all that content of the one-day workshop of how does a new age business work. Then I sat and wrote down the book, which was quite torturous. But yeah, so that's where the book came from. It's really just explaining this new age mega gig economy that we're in at the moment. And in true gig economy fashion, self-published, right? Exactly. Yeah, so I have to drink my own Kool-Aid. So that's the whole point. <laughs> yeah, you can't write about slaying giants and then publish with Penguin. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, it talks about online presence the you as a brand instead of the corporate brand, networking online. And so if you don't self-publish, then you're actually going against the grain of what the book stands for. You know, you have a product. How do you tell the global market about your product? That's what the book's about. So, the you know, the self-publishing is part and parcel of that. 
And do you think this is really important as an entrepreneur, this kind of personal branding? Because a lot of entrepreneurs, I think there's kind of, I mean, there's three types, right? There's people who just completely shy away from it. They just think, no, this is not for me. Then I would say you've got, I mean, I'm not the biggest LinkedIn fan, to be completely honest. I, I enjoy Twitter a bit more. LinkedIn can be very useful. It can also be quite cringe at one end of the spectrum. And then you've got people who are kind of in the middle. They recognize the value of that personal brand as the founder of a business. And they do some stuff, but but maybe not a lot of stuff. You know, What has been your approach around this? Because it sounds like maybe part of the success of Virtual Actuary has been that you're not shy to get out there, do the conferences, do that kind of thing. Would you say that's been a part of the success or do you think that's just been a byproduct of the success? So I think what happens is people need to decide two things. Number one, do they want to be a business owner or do they want to work as an employee in a large corporation? Now, both are great and being a business owner and and, and working in a consortium, let's say, is not fun. You, You know, being a business owner is not fun and most people will rather just get work and especially if you're climbing the corporate ladder that's a beautiful thing the problem is is that and i always discourage people in their 20s from becoming business owners because they make fundamental mistakes and they bury themselves before they have actual real life working experience and and industry experience even though it seems so glamorous it's actually a big mistake to open a business in your 20s so most people should be professionals and work in large corporations that's the safer route it's the reliable route. You, you're growing your income as you get more senior and as you take on more responsibility. It's quite rare for somebody to break away and, and become a business owner. Now, if you have to do it and you want to do it, and as I say, you have to do it, then you need to be able to market the business. Now, if you're going to just be an employee and work and not market yourself and network online, then you might find that those who do that seem to be the ones that you're going to be applying for work at. So you can't be sitting on the couch and not doing any marketing. Say, ah, you know, it's all myth and I don't want to be knocking on doors and stuff. But then if you don't do that for 10 years, then the person who broke away and opened a business, now all of a sudden you're applying for work over there. You can't be upset with that. So either you're going to better yourself, it is a global world out there, and you're going to be reaching out to people globally. It's not fun and games. It's not social media where you're making friends. You're networking from a business perspective. Now, that could be very useful even if you just work at a company. Very, very useful. You're picking up clients. You're engaging. LinkedIn is pretty much the uh, conference, the industry conference that people used to send you to in Czechoslovakia because there's a new innovation that's happened then, you would go there. Your company could afford to send you there. And then as the internet came in, people were doing these symposiums and conferences remotely where you could plug in if you didn't have the money to go. But now you're able to link in and connect with this global industry that we're in, in your sector, in your industry, without specifically having to fly there. And then of course, if you take it to the next level, you can actually engage with those people as a global village of businesses working together. And that's actually where you get it more right, where you're, you're a global corporation instead of just a local one. So there's the, there's the good and the bad of just being an employee. And then if you have to be a business owner, what you definitely don't want to do is only fish in your own market. There is so much great advice in there from start to finish that I can corroborate based on my own experience, I suppose, what I've seen in, in Bizval. I mean, uh, Graham, our CEO, attended a Countex in London, came back with some really, really cool stuff from that. So 
you know, there's definitely a, a place still for the physical conferences. And from some of the company results I've been reading recently, conferences seem to have recovered pretty strongly. Bidcorp said that. I think it was Southern Sun said that. But the virtual world is never going to go anywhere, right? It's only growing because it's just so easy. You can attend a conference from your chair. And I love the way you describe LinkedIn. It's a very, very good way to put it. I've struggled with it because I can't leverage my old official LinkedIn profile because then my ghostiness disappears overnight. Although I do, I do sit at night and wonder about that. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's fascinating. So for me, it's been Twitter, which is a completely different arena to LinkedIn, but I've had much the same experience. You, know, you put yourself out there, you get your brand out there, you engage with people and that's how you can grow it. So the internet is this wonderful enabler of this gig economy, which is, is very, very exciting and you have to know how to use it. And the other piece of advice you give there, which I think is fantastic is, you know, don't rush to go and start a business. Like I messed around with a couple of side gigs in my 20s, made horrific mistakes, <laughs> lost money. And thankfully, I lost money while formally employed, you know, which is the best time to do it. I definitely, definitely made big mistakes. And at the time, it felt like financial destruction, you know, like that meme. I will never financially re recover from this. <laughs> in your 20s, what feels like your financial destruction long term is not actually financial destruction if all goes well for you. It's probably, the, it's probably the best MBA you'll ever do because you did it on the streets and you went and learnt and you figured out, okay, I spotted a gap in the market. Okay, it wasn't a gap. Why wasn't it a gap? There's no better way to learn than by doing. I mean, I'm 35 now. I started the Finance Coast three years ago. So, you know, early 30s, which I think is a pretty good time. And to your point, to leave corporate and start a business, unless you have to do it, it is a huge decision. And have to is obviously a really interesting term you know for me it wasn't a financial thing i definitely didn't have to leave corporate although long term i believe this will do a lot better for me it was just i couldn't ignore the fact anymore that i was just born to be an entrepreneur like this is what i love i love building things i love spotting gaps and i hate rules <laughs> so <laughs> all of those things are not very conducive to life in a corporate right yeah so i personally hate being an entrepreneur <laughs> because i mean who the hell wants to struggle to make money who wants to knock on doors who wants to try and build something from the ground up it's a lot easier to fly an airplane that's already in the air than it is to try and get one to take off and get it to a high altitude so in in the book i, I write about something known as the observer and the observer trait as being somebody who sets themselves up to disrupt an industry why because you've observed with purpose because you're looking for gaps and you're trying to find ways to innovate an industry, having worked in that industry and the observer spots the gap, puts the puzzle together and then actions that, which is quite important. South Africans in general are quite strong on ideas. Everybody's got a great idea, but a great idea is, is worthless if you don't action that great idea. And 99% of people won't action that great idea. So as I say, I hate being an entrepreneur, but unfortunately I was forced to um, having not been a professional. So I think, you know, if we look at this trend of influencers, where the influencer, the you as a brand is, I believe, taking over from the corporate brand world. Okay. So what you'll find is that as people grow into the industry and they have a product that they're trying to take to market, if they can gain credibility in that industry and people start realizing that that is actually a great product and they start to technology up the product instead of starting from the technology side which is what most people do 
but you have to be able to build up that credibility and get that momentum going. And if you can hit that wave, then you can get corporations, industry, to start buying that product. But then, of course, you need to be able to follow that through as a corporation and actually service those clients. Otherwise, of course, on the retail side, it's a lot easier because all you need is a great app and, and people just take it on if it goes viral, if it hits a sweet spot. But if you actually want to service corporations, you have to be quite organized and you have to operate as a corporation. And there's a lot in there in how to be as slick and reliable and dependable as a corporation if you want to beat the giants in your industry. And, and actually become the, the next giant in your industry. There's a lot going on there, but basically it all starts with being the observer and, and, and then banding together and, and forming the business. Of course, most people get it totally wrong, and then they start with an investor and they hire a whole bunch of people and they start as a boutique corporate to become a corporate. The problem is you get stuck in loans, you get stuck in pressure from investors to, to, to exit and, and, and make money and, and it's not really about quality. So in the book and, and how we've started our businesses, we are still self-funded. We've done about 250 million in revenue in five years, which is not bad as a self-funded business. We have InsurTech products that are already used globally in some of the biggest banks and insurers in the world. And we're busy building our scale-up software at the moment. And so the key is really if you can grow and get that momentum without having taken on the investor or getting the loan, then you're not like tied down by pressure to pay your bills, but rather everything is a building on the building blocks from what you did the last couple of months with no pressure. So that's what a consortium is about, is how the gig economy can all work together by being a consortium and, and trying to take market share away from the competitors without just being an in, you know getting an investor opening a business and realizing that you got in a totally wrong four years ago because that investor is now putting pressure on you so there's a lot going on there but yeah it is a it is a technologically advanced world we're in at the moment and what you don't want to do is be doing things that, of how they were doing it 20 years ago because that's totally the wrong mindset totally the wrong approach in my opinion I'm going to read this book because there's some really, really, really good stuff coming through, genuinely. Something I wanted to ask you is, you know, to what extent did COVID accelerate what you've done? Because I would guess that you are probably, like me, a little bit of a lockdown net winner long term. I think some of the mindset shift that has happened for a lot of people possibly has helped you. Would that be a fair statement? Yeah. So when we started the business in 2017, it was virtual actuary. The vision is a 10 to 15 year vision of actuaries consulting globally from home in a virtual and augmented reality setting, which is more immersive as compared to how that technology is at the moment. And so we started engaging with overseas clients to say, you can use us digitally. There's no actual reason for us to be um, in a high street office across the road from me in Hong Kong. Because what normally happens is that high street office in Hong Kong walks across the road, they shake hands once, and they never see that client again for the next three years. It's all done digitally. So I figured if we could just get them to start working with us, then they would carry on working with us. We got a little bit of resistance saying, well, you know, we can get people to walk across the road. <laughs> okay, and I said, well, fair enough. But if you don't want people to walk across the road and you like the, the, the prices we can offer you because we don't have the high street offices, let us know. And then as soon as COVID kicked in, then they started phoning back. So, so there was a good 
two and a half years, two years just before COVID, where those clients were being were, were listening to our story, digital actuaries, working globally. And then as soon as COVID kicked in, they actually phoned back. They said, well, tell us a little bit more. You know, let's do a proposal. We're willing to have overseas teams. We're using VDIs. And, uh, you know, we're, we're happy to allow you access because our team's fragmented as well. And we picked up quite a lot of global clients in 2020 and, uh, and, and continuing now. So that sort of blended approach is working quite well. And let's not forget that I believe that the physical working environment is not going to be the same as it was before COVID in 10 years' time. I mean, you think traffic's bad now. Imagine what it's going to be like in 20 years' time. You're going to sit in traffic for two and a half hours before you get to work. You think that's sustainable. It's not sustainable. So therefore, is your strategy to have physical presence and retail office space. But that's not a 20-year approach. That's not a 15-year approach. So you have to really be thinking about vending machines and that sort of you know, on-demand type product and service. Bring the product to you. Bring the service to you because that's the smarter approach. And so, so we rather just focus on that now. And rather learn those lessons now so that in 10 or 15 years' time, when people look around and go, oh, they were right, we've got 20 years' runway. So that's, that's the way to do it. I don't think anyone listening to this will be surprised by how well you've done in the past few years just based on the way you think. It makes a world of sense. So that means there's something I have to ask you now, which I'm very, very interested to get your views on, which, of course, is artificial intelligence. And what that means for professionals like actuaries, it sounds like you see it as an enablement tool and an accelerator rather than a threat. Yeah, I mean, that would, I imagine that would be the idea, especially for actuaries, but I'm very, very keen, given the amount of thinking you've done in this space, just open-ended question, you know, your views on what AI means for this gig economy. Yeah, so it's kind of like um, when computers came in and people, oh my God, the computers are gonna take over our business. Charles, we're gonna lose the business. They've invented computers. Now, you know, that would have been the thinking. But actually, the computer was an enabler of what you already have established. So a lot of these people going, well, AI is going to take over. Well, I don't believe that is the case. Yes, you have your outliers that come up with these great ideas and like chat GPT or whatever. It's very revolutionary. But for most businesses, it's actually an add-on enabler technology to what they already have on the go. So when it comes to actuaries, what it might do is, is get rid of some of the more mundane stuff where you need bums on seats, but from a strategic thinking innovation perspective, you will always need the actuarial mind to design the products, to understand the market, to innovate the products, to price the products based on factors that weren't there before. You need that human smarts. You know, look at airplanes. They can fly themselves. Then why do you have two pilots sitting in there? What, just to look good pushing their, their bags? Because they do look good. You know, of course, they also get to the front of the queue. But, but in essence, an actuary that knows how to use AI is better. Let's also not forget that insurance companies and, and banks are exceptionally risk averse. They cannot have a stuff up where they don't know how to fix it. There has to be an audit trail. So you can never have this like AI that just runs a mock in there because they could lose everything and, and, and they just they can't have that. So anything that they do use has to be very compartmentalized and managed so that they can always backtrack and say, how do we fix this mess? I need somebody to fix this mess. 
And so the adoption of AI in insurance companies and banks is going to take 10 years. So you're always going to need actuaries. You just need actuaries that just work a little bit differently and smarter. And, and I think just the more mundane sort of uh, work that is being done is going to fall away. But besides for that, and let's not forget, look at all this virtual world that we're going to be in. Who do you think is going to create insurance products in the virtual world? I don't know if you know Second Life and that kind of stuff. So once Second Life and all these virtual worlds start having real world uh, weather and, 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 and the credit card that you pulled out to buy the house, and now all of a sudden the weather comes in, there's a storm and it destroys your house. Now, you didn't have insurance in this virtual world. It's not, it's not their fault. It's your fault. So somebody has to, someone has to create these insurance products in the virtual world. How do you price that? So I'm saying, you know, you need to really think outside the box as far as where this world is going and what actuaries are going to do. You know, actuaries are definitely not going to get left behind. Yeah, I mean, it's funny how the world changes. So my mom started a working life as a typist. You know, those old typist pools, tick, 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 tick. Well, you know, the bosses kind of send down what they need. I mean, imagine, <laughs> you know, it's so foreign for even me to think about. Can you imagine explaining the concept of a typist pool to a 20-year-old? And be like, no, there were all these people and all they sat and did was use a typewriter all day because no one else knew how to type something. And be like, sorry, what? You know, these teenagers now are making their own videos, starting businesses online. It's fascinating. So, yeah, I think that's a great answer. I, I tend to agree with you. I think that's probably as much time as we have today. I'm keen to maybe just open it up to you with one last question, which is, it's the same thing I ask every guest, which is, you know, and it's the most cliche thing in the world, but the answers are always non-cliche on this podcast, which I love, which is what is that one piece of advice you would give to an entrepreneur who's kind of started a business scaling, so on their journey, not someone who's thinking about it, not someone who hasn't actually made the mistakes, but someone who's on that journey, you know, what is the one thing that you would say is absolutely critical to success? Probably not the popular opinion, but stop asking the question of work-life balance and what is the work-life balance. There is zero work-life balance. It is 100% all about work until you get to the age of 50. Okay, don't worry about having fun or mentally taking a break or you see the problem is most people don't recharge correctly on the weekends that's the problem that's why they are fatigued and that's why they burnt out it's because they're not recharging properly you know having beers and drinking with friends and having bras with friends is not recharging you need to actually tap into what you did as a 15 year old and get the joy and the excitement and the adrenaline back into your life on the weekends and do your passion and, and stuff that actually is like dangerous and stuff that you would have done on a Sunday when you were 15 and you could have done anything. Because if you do that on the weekends, then, then by the time and, and, and you get back home, you're so dirty, you, you just, you've been in another world. You've literally been on holiday. And then you come on the Monday morning and you're sitting there. Now you want to work. You're not going to think I'm bored, I'm burnt out, I hate these emails, you know. But actually, you've actually recharged properly. Actually, can have a spring in your step going into the week. So don't worry about work-life balance. You see, working from home allows you to have your kids. I've got four kids. They're right here watching TV. They've turned the house into a pirate ship. Okay, they're right here next to me, and I have a door, but they can come in whenever they want, and they do with goggles and all that stuff, and they try and sneak in. They think I don't see them. And, and that is work-life balance, where daddy and mommy are working nonstop, 
but the family's right here so you can still spend time with them. And that's the beauty, is if you do that, unfortunately, I also had to give up my social life for the last 15 years and going to Thailand on holiday. But if you do that, potentially, potentially, you could snatch some success and try and build on that, potentially. But if you don't, then you're going to hit a mediocre wave, which is fine. Even just paying your bills is amazing. But if you want that true success, then you have to give everything up, unfortunately. So that's what I think. Best advice is just work your ass off. And then when you think you're done working your ass off, work your ass off some more. And then, and then like start again the next day. I think that is fabulous advice. It's not the stuff people want to hear, but you are hearing from someone who's done it, not some Instagram influencer who likes to believe they've done it. Now I have to ask you though, what is that hobby on the weekend that gets your adrenaline going? I'm now very, very curious. Yeah, exactly. So I'm an avid kite surfer. I was going to guess kite surfing or like hardcore downhill mountain biking. It was one of the two for me. Yeah, so I have a, a YZ250 motorbike off-road. Okay. So okay. I have the YZ250 for the sand dunes. I also have a, a Raptor 700 for the sand dunes. Okay, and that's when there's no wind. And then I have, the, I have about 15 kites and I actually bought a, a house two roads away from Kite Beach in Bloberg Strand so I can kite. So I kite and I'm on the motorbikes. And when I'm not doing that, then my daughter's painting my toenails black. We'll have to go have a drink sometime because I live in Milneton, so I'm very much in your fun zone. Um, yeah, so mine is all motorsport related, so I get it. I completely understand the desire to have that sort of high energy hobby. I think that's actually very, very good advice. Thank you for your time on this podcast. I think this has been absolutely brilliant. I will absolutely read your book. I'm not just saying that. Please send it to me. And uh, for anyone listening to this, I think this is the kind of thing you want to read. You know, this is real stuff. So... Well done. I look forward to tracking the progress and yeah, you know, maybe we can get to know each other a bit more because I think uh, we think very similarly in a lot of ways. So thank you for joining and maybe we'll do this again sometime. Thank you very much, Ghost. You're welcome to share the book with whoever wants it with absolute pleasure. I'm self-publishing. People ask you for it. You can send them a free PDF copy with absolute pleasure. I don't mind. And, um, and I'll put one online if people want to buy it nearing the end of the year. But thank you. This has been a pleasure. I'm humbled. And um, I've got a lot of things to do today, so I'm excited. And, and thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. How do people connect with you, LinkedIn? Um, yeah, so if you Google virtual actuary, you'll find me. You can find Adi Kaimovitz on LinkedIn. There's quite a few ways to get hold of me. Yeah, if they just Google virtual actuary, they'll find me and us in two seconds. Fantastic. Thank you so very much. And I look forward to doing this again. Thank you. Ciao. Bye.